Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open in them to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 23 to 35 as we continue through this sermon series of looking uh, at the stories that Jesus told. And as we do, uh, you may have noticed that the topic today is on that of forgiveness. And uh, as I've uh, wrestled through forgiveness in my own life and heart over the course of time, one of the stories that has always captured me is that of Corrie ten Boom. Uh, She was a Dutch watchmaker during the time of World War II. Uh, She and her family hid Jews from the Nazis, and eventually her family got arrested uh, and put into concentration camps. Uh, And so uh, this is a is a history that she wrote down. By the way, a book I would highly commend is The Hiding Place. I've read it several times. Uh, It's an amazing book. It's a challenging book. Uh, But she chronicles in uh, that book and in some of her writings after that fact uh, of a time that she taught at a church in Munich in 1947. So after the war, after surviving life in uh, Ravensbrück, which was the concentration camp she was in, uh, her father passed away in uh, one of the earlier camps they were held in, and there in Ravensbrook, she and Betsy went in together, but Betsy, her sister, uh, died over the course of her time in the camp. And she was telling about this story in 1947 where she was teaching about God's forgiveness. And part of the uh, teaching that she said in the midst of it is, when God forgives, he tosses our sin into the depths of the sea, never to be seen again, which is exactly what God's word teaches But like God often tends to do, he did not allow her to keep that idea in abstract. Uh, In fact, immediately after her talk, uh, as everybody was quietly packing up and leaving this room, she began to write down what she felt next as she saw a man approaching her. She said, that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and brown hat he was wearing, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this very man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. And so if you haven't figured out what exactly is happening, the man towards her, walking towards her at that moment, was one of the officers in this concentration camp she was in. And she remembered him. He did not remember her. But as he approached her, he said, A fine message, Fraulein, about God hurling into the sea. I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. And again, a hand came out. Will you forgive me? Tin Boom said, I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? What would you do? If that hand was extended to you and you had walked that road, what would you do? Would you grab that hand and shake and say, I forgive you? Or would you experience what she's experiencing? Well, just this week, uh, a friend and acquaintance of mine who is also a Christian influencer, he's more plugged into uh, what's going on in uh, various areas of leadership of the church than I am. And he posted on a social media account this week that never have I ever seen a week so horrific on social media where Christians are just at war with one another, destroying one another in person, on social media. We live in a challenging day and age, both in and outside of the church, don't we? I mean, just this week, 
We see violence, right, against Asian Americans that have caused many in our own midst to grieve, to deal with emotions of anger. And that just extends to the further racial conversation that we've been in for well beyond the last year, but certainly has reached a crescendo. One person said we are in a moment of racial reckoning as a society. Extend that to our marriages in the pandemic. I don't think I've ever seen a more challenging season there. Spouses at war with one another as offense after offense mounts. And the list could go on and on. Politics, the things to wrestle with in the midst of our political views, even in the midst of our own congregation. Oh, man, like never before. Enter the conversation of forgiveness. This, one of the most clearly held doctrines of the Christian faith, does that have any bearing on the conversations of our day? Now, as I walk carefully into this world of forgiveness, I just have to tell you, uh, this is a hard one for me. You see, for some of us, I actually can identify deeply with some of the ways that you've been offended over the course of your life. And some of you, I just have no idea. And so there is this angst in me where uh, my prayer this morning is I, I don't intend to be overly simplistic or to heal wounds lightly. And my prayer actually is that you not hear my voice at all this morning, but rather you hear the voice of our Savior who we're going to read his teaching on forgiveness straight from his lips. And if there's anybody in this world who can identify with every single offense that you have ever faced and with the suffering that you've walked through, it's him who has been offended by billions of people over the course of time, who have shaken their fist and gossiped and slandered and eventually murdered. So friends, listen to King Jesus this morning as he teaches on forgiveness. And here's his thesis. To be Christian is to forgive because we've been forgiven. To be Christian is to forgive because we've been forgiven. So Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. It's up on the screen. Feel free to follow along in your Bibles as well. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave all of his debt, or if he gave him his debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. 
And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Let me pray for us as we get going this morning. Well, Lord, give us ears to hear this morning. By the power of your Spirit, give us ears to hear this remarkably challenging sermon that you gave, Jesus. Lord, and I do pray for my friends whose hearts are already stirred up as we think about the wounds in our own lives. And I just pray that, that as we are instructed and sit underneath the teaching of your word, that you also uh, meet us with the healing balm of your gospel and your message of grace. And so, Holy Spirit, would you speak in and through me, and would you change our hearts as a result of sitting under your word this morning? We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, friends, so as we jump in, the first point we're going to look at is the constant need for forgiveness. What Jesus begins to lay out for us here in this passage is the constant need for forgiveness. Let me give you the big picture of what's happening here. So, as we walk through the book of Matthew, there are, there are four major discourses, or there are major chunks or discourses, which is really sections of teaching from the mouth of Jesus. And so we saw the Sermon on the Mount. That was one. Uh, we looked at the parables of the kingdom. That was in chapter 13. Uh, and then what is preceded, where we're going to read here in chapter 18, is Jesus, uh, really from 14 to 17, teaching uh, on his identity and his mission, right? And so, actually, that's not him teaching. Matthew is saying, here's pictures of Jesus, his identity, and the missions he's on. But then Jesus begins to teach again, and, and he grabs his followers, and he says, hey, uh, I'm going to teach you for a while on what it looks like to live as a community of followers of me, to live as the covenant community as my people. And so after this, you'll see teaching on marriage. After that, you'll see him talking about the impact God's people have and their importance as a community on the world around them. But this section that we're going to look at today in the immediate context of what preceded this is Jesus talking about what happens when those within the household of faith offend us. By the way, if you become a Christian, you join a church, all the sinning doesn't go away. We offend each other all the time. Matthew 18, uh, 15, which just precedes this. We're not going to do a lot of teaching there. But, but Jesus starts off saying, hey, when your brother or sister sins against you, not if, but when your brother and sister sin against you, here's how you proceed. And let me just take 30 seconds and talk about this because we live in a day and age where we just ignore Jesus' teaching here. He says, first step, you go to them in private. In private. You don't post it on social media first. You don't go and get counsel from somebody else and say, hey, so-and-so did this to me. I just need your counsel. That's actually not the first step that Jesus throws out. He says, go directly to them in private. Now, if that doesn't succeed, you bring a second person in. But what's interesting is that second person is sitting in front of the person that you have an offense with so that they can hear both sides of the story and what's being told. Proverbs talks about the first side seems right until the second side comes and examines them. And then if it's not resolved, you take it to the church. In our context, that would look like coming to the elders and saying, hey, this person has sinned against me. Uh, we need your help in walking this out. Now, God forbid the end is something like excommunication, but, but that's the process. But here's the goal if you read that section. It's not to win. It's not to get your point across. It's to gain your brother and sister back. 
Now, that's the outward working of how to approach someone who has offended you or sinned against you. But what Jesus moves into immediately after that section is to say, now there's heart work that you need to do as you face that offense. And that's dealing with the topic of forgiveness. And so Peter starts off asking a good question that all of us probably ask. He says, Jesus in 21, how often if my brother or sister sins against me, do I need to forgive him? Is it seven times? Right? Is that a funny question? But is that a good question? Have you ever asked that question? Do I need to keep forgiving this person if they do this? I've had a married couple in front of me over the course of the years, and one spouse said of the other, said, hey, um, this person did this more than once to me. I can't forgive him anymore. I'm done. Jesus would push back against this here. Now, is Peter being a little, you know, shallow and saying, okay, seven times, Jesus, that's my limit and I'm done? Well, no. Actually, the rabbis at that time would teach, hey, three is the magic number. You forgive a brother three times or a sister three times if they sin against you. And so Peter was actually here being generous. But Jesus pushes way harder against that three number and seven number when saying, hey, it's 77 times. If you translate it differently, it could be 70 times seven times. And Jesus' point that he's making here is, hey, pull out your sheet, and every time that person offends you, you just mark it down. And once they hit 77, you're done. Or once you hit 490, right, 70 times seven, you're done. As you read your Bibles, whether it be Matthew or the book of Revelation, anything with the number seven, a multiple of seven, is more figurative, and it's a number of completion. And so what Jesus is saying here is, true disciples of mine are able to forgive without keeping count. We don't sit there with our ledger and just keep marking it off. Let me quote for you Tim Keller. Um, So just so you know, I'm going to be leaning on this brother's work a lot today, and I'm going to include an article that he wrote called Forgiveness and Reconciliation. It's just so well done. I commend it highly to you. Uh, But here's what he says. He says, on both a theological and a practical level, forgiveness is at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. True forgiveness comes at a cost and is pursued intentionally within a community of believers. And what he's basically doing is summarizing what Paul writes in the book of Colossians, where he paints this picture of, hey, as Christians in the household of faith with one another, uh, we kind of need to get dressed every morning uh, with these sorts of attributes. Colossians 3, Paul writes, "...put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility." meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. The bottom line that Jesus is teaching here is that life as a covenant family of believers means being able to constantly forgive because we've been forgiven. So let's look at the second point and look at this idea of the debt of forgiveness. The debt of forgiveness. So in order to just kind of take forgiveness out of the abstract and bring it to real life, we need to talk about, okay, what is forgiveness then? So let's talk about this idea of debt. And this is verses 23 to 27. But as we look at God's Word, as as God's Word teaches on forgiveness, the primary illustration that's often used is that of monetary debt. That's what we see happening here in verse 23. This king uh, is basically uh, calling his debts in. And then in verse 24, 
uh, he's trying, he's settling up with one of his servants who says it owes him 10,000 talents. So to understand the magnitude of what's happening here, we need to understand what a talent is. And so one talent would be equivalent to 20 years of wages for an individual. So 20 years pay. So Montgomery County, the mean income for an individual is roughly $43,000 a year. Multiply that out, that's $860,000. All right? So that's one talent. How many talents is he saying that he owes the king here? 10,000. Now, look, let's do that quick math, right? Carry the one. Um, That's 8.6 E9. I don't even know what an E9 is, but when I plug that in, that's what that's like scientific calculator, calculus stuff. I don't even get it, right? The math teachers are laughing at me and science teachers and whatnot. But, but that's how much he owes. So let's, let, let's make it a, a, a easier number to work with. Say you get paid $15 an hour, 10,000 talents is like $8.6 billion. Here's the point that's being made. This debt is totally, he's unable to pay it back. No matter how hard he works for however long, he will never be able to pay it back. And this king had every right to demand full payment. But what did he do? He forgave it. It says here, he showed him mercy. You see, with regards to forgiveness, when somebody offends us, there is this innate sense that they owe us. You ever said that to somebody? You owe me. Deeper question, have you ever thought it? Yeah, maybe. When we are wronged, we tend to want to make other people pay. So let's talk about the monetary debt. Let's just keep painting this picture. You come over to Anthony's house, and I have an echo sitting there. little echo so I can like turn on my lights in Egypt if I want to, or I can order something by the sound of my voice, or listen to Spotify, or, or whatever that may be. And for some reason, when you come over, you want to play football in my living room. It's a small living room. Don't play football in my living room. But you throw the football, you hit my echo, it shatters, it's destroyed. So we do some quick work, and we find out that the fourth generation echo is $80. So at this point, you owe me, you broke my echo. So forgiveness uh, can really, or, or not forgiveness, but but really what happens next can take one of two forms. You could pay me $80, right? And, and then you would kind of suffer loss in that moment. Or I can forgive you that $80. But here's what I want you to see, uh, is that somebody is still paying the debt. The debt does not go away. If I forgive you, two things have to then happen. Either I suffer because I'm out $80 because I buy a new Echo. I really like the Echo. It's a nice little device. It creeps me out a little bit at times. But but, but, you know, I would spend the 80 bucks to get my echo back. Or I go without an echo and I can't turn my lights in Egypt on or I can't uh, order something at the sound of my voice or fill the room with uh, whatever Spotify channel that we're listening to, right? But either way, I then have to absorb the suffering. Someone always pays the debt. Somebody always pays the debt. So let's put it in relational terms. Somebody says something careless or disrespectful to you, right? They hurt you. A debt's incurred, right? It's shame, it's dignity, it's reputation that's lost, it's safety that's lost, it's, it's power, right? A sense of powerlessness ensues. There's a lost opportunity, maybe at work, or maybe a lost relationship. And what is our instinct? To make them pay. We can do it by yelling and making them feel small. 
We can do it by stiff-arming and being cold. I call this the marriage wall. Over the course of offenses in a marriage, brick by brick, we'll just stiff-arm and give the cold shoulder. And after 20 years, we don't even know what our spouse looks like anymore. We have the, the karma response, where maybe we don't do anything outright to them, but we really hope the universe gets them, and we watch Facebook constantly and be like, oh, is it going to happen today? But either way, we are trying to make them pay their debt. Keller would go on to say this, only after we see them suffer in some commensurate way do we sense that the debt has been paid and the sense of obligation is gone. The sense of debt and liability and obligation is impossible to escape. Anyone who denies it exists has simply not been wronged or sinned against in any serious way. You see, there's always suffering involved. Either the person who you want payment from or we repay it ourselves. The master in this story is the one who actually suffers. So Keller, one more Keller quote, defining what forgiveness actually is. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness means giving up the right to seek repayment from the one who harmed you. But it must be recognized that forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. And friends, here's the reality. I wish I could dig into this a little bit further, but a lack of forgiveness can actually lead to unbelievable physical harm to yourself. There are studies out there that show that uh, an unforgiving heart uh, can have more damage on your body than things like smoking. Terrific. Corey ten Boom leans into this as she continues her story. She says, "Those um, Those who left the camp who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And so she goes on, she says, I still stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so what she's articulating is this reality that forgiveness is usually granted before it's felt. Forgiveness is usually granted before it's felt. And so let's get really practical for a minute about what it looks like to grant forgiveness before your heart comes in line with it. And there's three things. The first is we refuse to hurt the person directly. So we actually hit our knees and say, Spirit, help me not attack them, not make them pay. The second thing is more of a corporate response, and it's a refusal to to employ things like innuendo, spin, gossip, and slander. You see, maybe we don't attack them directly, but we take the attack horizontal. Social media, family members, we just say, but they're kind of like that. Here's the third. We refuse to indulge in ill will in our hearts. And I call this the shower conversations. You ever have the shower conversations with yourself, right? Where you're replaying the YouTube video of the moment. I'm like, oh yeah, well you did this and da 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 Do you ever do that? Maybe it's just me. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. 
And the YouTube video is usually ten times worse than what actually happened. But part of granting forgiveness is a commitment to not continue to stir up the hatred in our hearts against that person. So here's a question. Is there someone or a group of people in your life right now who you need to grant forgiveness to? Anyone? Now, let me give you a couple other practical considerations because I don't want to be overly simplistic here with forgiveness. The first is forgiveness doesn't mean simply overlooking the offense. Proverbs does give a category where there are some minor offenses that are able to be overlooked, and that's a good category to lean into. But if you think about it, usually beyond 10 minutes after the offense, and if you keep playing it over, that's not your category. Christ actually just told us before this parable, don't simply overlook sin and forgive it. He says, go to them and confront it. Here's a second. Oh, can I just, this is a good verse to keep in front of us. When we confront, speak the truth in love. Don't just go and speak the truth in truth. You go to gain a brother or sister. Here's the second thing. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation involves trust. Reconciliation is is usually a very long process. Sometimes forgiveness is a very long process. It's often best ventured with other people. right? Maybe it's a trusted and wise person in the church. Maybe it's a counselor. I'm thinking of marriages in particular where trust has eroded over decades. Don't confuse forgiveness with reconciliation. In reconciliation, what level should the relationship return to can often be quite complex. I will say this. There's a kind of baseline of what reconciliation means. Hebrews 12.4 says, strive for peace with everyone. So at the very least, baseline is reconciliation equals peace. Beyond that, it's a long, slow process typically, um, walked with others in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the third thing I would say. Forgiveness must be pursued in a way that honors God's justice and protects the vulnerable. It needs to be pursued in a way that honors God's justice and protects the vulnerable. So the whole counsel of God's word would say Romans 13 is still in effect, right? Where God has given the government the sword to protect life and, and, and to punish certain things. And so we may forgive someone, but there may still be consequences. They may need to go to jail. That's a real category. Protecting the vulnerable is the other piece. You know, when you're talking about somebody needing to forgive in the context of abuse, well, it would be wrong to send someone back into an abusive situation, right? And just say, just forgive and keep going. So I just want to name that briefly as we keep moving forward. But let's look at the third main point here this morning is the importance of forgiveness. So, Anthony, is it really important to lean into this forgiveness thing or is this some Christian category that, you know, you get paid to talk about? Well, verses 27 to 35 show us this picture of a servant who has been forgiven this debt who has totally forgotten mercy. i got to be quick through this, but starting in verse 28, you'll see that this very servant who was just forgiven went out and found a fellow servant. So someone else who likely needed forgiveness from the master, right? And he goes out and he grabs him and he says, hey, you owe me a hundred denarii. You know how much money that is? Let's save the math. It's $16,000. 
He owed him $16,000, forgetting he, was just owed, he just owed six point something billion. His demeanor, he grabs him, he chokes him. This person who he's choking pleaded with him using almost the exact same language that he did with the king. And he just said, pay me. Now, just in a quick read, we would probably say, oh yeah, he, he really has forgotten the mercy that was shown to him. The master comes on the scene and he says, basically, by failing to show mercy, it shows that you actually haven't received mercy yourself. He calls him wicked. He throws him in jail, which is really condemnation. He can't pay back $6 billion. It's a picture of judgment. 35, Jesus levies the sobering words where he says, and so will my father do to you if you do not forgive from the heart. Friends, we are fellows with one another. We have received the same mercy from our God and King. To fail to forgive on a horizontal level totally forgets the grace of the gospel. And it's not just a simple oversight. It actually is indicative if we are unable to forgive of a heart that has never actually received grace. No matter how many times we pray a prayer or go to church, a heart that forgets to forgive has never truly held grace before him in the first place. We pray this with the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, right? And at the end, Jesus says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Why? Well, friends, as we forgive others, we are following in the Master's footsteps. Jesus Christ bore the cost of not just one person's offense, but every person's offense on the cross. At the cross, God both satisfies justice and love, and God was so just and desirous to judge sin that Jesus had to die. But Jesus was so loving and desirous of our salvation that Jesus was glad to die, to forgive us. I was talking to a friend this week. I had a rough week forgiving. And I confessed this to a brother on Wednesday, and he looked at me and he said, I just want to encourage you to repent all the way down. Don't just forgive this one thing. Repent of the thing underneath that causes you to be unforgiving in the first place. Corey Ten Boone says this, at the end of the story, she grabbed his hand, and for a long moment we grasped each other's hands, and the former guard and the former prisoner forgave. She said, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did in that moment. Let me read and end really with one quote from Derek Kidner. He says, the reason there are so many exhortations in the New Testament for Christians to love other Christians is because it's made up, the church is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort that bind other groups of people together. Christians come together not because they form a natural collocation, but because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ and owe Him a common allegiance. In this light, we are a band of natural enemies whose love for one, uh, one another for Jesus' sake. 
That is the only reason why John 13, 34 to 35 makes sense. When Jesus says, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. Christian love will stand out and bear witness to Jesus because it is a display for Jesus' sake of mutual love among social incompatibilities. Friends, to be Christian is to forgive because we have been forgiven. Let me close us in prayer. Lord, teach us to forgive. Lord, teach us to forgive by allowing us to repent all the way down and see the depths to which we have been forgiven. Lord, where we are incapable, which we're not ever capable to forgive, truly, I pray that you will help us to rely on your Holy Spirit. And God, in a culture that wants to walk around with our invoices, showing each person where they have failed us, I pray that we become a people who walk away with our invoice recording our debts against you and say, he has paid it in full. And live out that freedom in a watching world around us to your glory. Lord, for those who have had emotions stirred up today that anger, confuse, Father, I pray that the gospel will quickly invade. Father, will you guide us as a church to be something different in a world that so desperately needs this picture of forgiveness. Thanks for your love for us demonstrated on the cross. In your name, amen.